go ahead and pull out your notes for today's message if you wish to do that or open your Life Church app, whichever direction you want to go with it. I, talk, I was talking about the AD series, uh, and over the next number of weeks, I'm going to do messages that tie in to the AD series. And so uh, tonight, the, the new one's on the Holy Spirit. So next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit in your life. Today's message, I want to, I want to take it back to last week's message, which I, I've just kind of entitled, Believe It Matters. Faith is important. That's the focus of what I want to take us to today. Now, we all know that two weeks ago, we celebrated uh, what has to be the boldest claim ever made that someone was crucified, this man was crucified, and he died on that cross, and he was put in a tomb, and the tomb was covered up, but three days later, he burst forth out of that tomb fully alive, and incredibly, not only did he come back to life 2,000 years ago, he's still alive today. What a claim. You know, I have heard stories through the years of people who have died and come back to life Again, in, incredible stories. Books have been written. People have given witness and testimony of the very thing of how they experienced an earthly death. And then at some point following the declaration of their death, they came back to life. And they tell very similar stories about what took place and what they experienced as they took a brief step into eternity. In fact, a, a Hollywood movie came out about a year ago now that dealt with that very thing. It was about the, uh, the experience of a little boy by the name of Colton, who was four years old, who got very, very ill. Actually, what they found out later was that his appendix burst, but they misdiagnosed it, the doctors did, or whatever. Nobody's point and blame, but he was misdiagnosed and ended up dying on the operating table. And he explains and talks about things in that story that were just incredible. And the movie was based off of a, a book that was written about his experiences entitled Heaven is for Real. If you have not read the book, Heaven is for Real, it's a very easy read, but it is very encouraging about the reality of heaven and what this little boy went through. He, when he came back months later, he began to share with his parents experiences that he had while stepping into eternity for those few moments. He explains what it was like when he left his body. He explains seeing his father angry, crying out at God in the, in the hospital chapel because his little boy had died. He, he explains, uh, he talked to his parents about people that he had met in heaven that he had no knowledge of. One of them, the most dramatic one, was a, an older sister who had died before he was born and he knew nothing about. Of course, he was just a little boy, three, four years old, so he wasn't aware yet that he had an older sister who had died. And he met her in heaven, and he, he brings her name and, and, and her life up to his parents after he returns some months later, and they're in shock because he knows nothing about this. How did you know about that? I met her in heaven, Daddy. She says she's my sister. Oh, I tell you, it was, it was like, are you kidding me? And then he goes on to describe uh, in great detail 
the, his grandfather, what his grandfather looked like, and how he had met his grandfather. His grandfather, too, had died before he was born, and, and, and so his dad shows him a picture of his grandfather, and, and he says, no, that's not the man, and, and he says, no, and so they started looking at some family albums and got to some pictures where grandpa was much, much younger, and he says, oh, yeah, that's him, that, you know. Uh, there's hair coming back to this head, folks. That's all I'm saying, <laughs> hair coming back. Eric, come on, buddy, we're, we're believing for it. Hair coming back, you know. Anyway, that, you know, and he described in, to, to a T his, his grandfather and what he looked like. And it, they were so moved by this, they began exploring further and further his experiences. It became a book, became a, a Hollywood uh, movie a year ago, and the rest is history. It, it's amazing the stories that people come to us with that have experienced this very thing. But nonetheless, it is a bold thing to claim a resurrection after death. It, it's, it's a hard thing to prove. And it's an even harder thing to believe, especially for some people. And I'm not just talking about, about 21st century skeptics who say, yeah, right. Uh, I'm talking about first century skeptics, people who struggled with it even then. And I'm not talking about the enemies of Jesus. In fact, one individual comes to my mind. Uh, he was one of Jesus' followers. In fact, he was more than a follower of Jesus. He was actually one of the 12 disciples. And his name was Thomas. Thomas. John chapter 20 gives us his story. Verses 19 and 20. That Sunday evening, the Sunday evening resurrection, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus is standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Verse 24, one of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. So Thomas had a crisis of faith. And because of this crisis, because of this faith struggle, he will forever be known for his greatest failure the crisis of his faith, the struggle he had to believe. And his name has been from that point on, not just Thomas, but doubting Thomas. Not Thomas, doubting Thomas. If we say, Thomas, nobody knows, knows who you're talking about. But if you say, doubting Thomas, ah, oh, I know about doubting Thomas. How would you like to be known for your greatest failure for the rest of your life? After you die, everybody remembers, oh, yeah, and they attach your greatest failure with your name. I know who you're talking about now. That's what happened to Thomas. You can feel the emotions, the anger, 
that Thomas had over the crucifixion in the tone of his words when he says to the rest of the disciples, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, unless I put my fingers in them, not just my eyes, I got to touch it too, and I put my hand in his side where the spear wounded him. I am thankful that the story doesn't end there. I am thankful for Thomas, and I tell you, I am thankful for us too because we all struggle with doubt from time to time. And I'm thankful that God doesn't give up on us when we do. Verse 26 goes on to tell us, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. But suddenly as before, Jesus was standing there among them and he says to them, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, okay, Thomas, here I am, put your finger in my wounded hand and put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Get that out of your heart. Do something new. Believe. Believe. I'm so thankful that we serve a God of the second chance. I'm so thankful he didn't give up on me when I had doubts that overwhelmed my heart at points in my life. When I struggled with depression that was so bad, I didn't know if I could get up in the morning. I'm so glad Jesus didn't give up on me then. I'm so glad that he hasn't given up on me when I've struggled with at points of faith in my life. And I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to have those struggles. But they were there and they were very real. And, and I have felt like, because the devil would come and whisper in my ear, you don't deserve to be preaching to anybody. And he was right, I don't. But God didn't give up on me in my greatest struggle. I'm so glad that he gave me another chance, that he came in and restored and renewed what the enemy was trying to destroy. Listen, if you have been tempted to believe that Jesus is done with you because of your struggles and because of your, your temptations and because of the fact that you have at times walked away from faith, from strong faith, and, and if you've been tempted to believe that God is fed up with you and he is done with you, then I am here to tell you this morning from personal experience that God still loves you. There is no sin so great that God doesn't love you more. He hasn't given up on you. Don't you give up on yourself either. But Jesus' words there in verse 27 are important words. I'm thankful that God is the God of the, tw uh, of the, of the second chance. But we need to move on from the weakness. We can't stay stuck there and say, well, God will just keep giving me more chances. We've got to move on from there. It's important that we understand that what Jesus said to Thomas, he's saying to us here this morning as well. In fact, I think that's why God made sure that those words were included in his eternal word because he knew that we would all need them. And this is what Jesus said, don't be faithless, believe. Don't get stuck in your doubt, believe. It's time to move on. It's time to be healed. It's time to get past it. 
Struggling in your faith is not necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily a sin. It's human. And Christian humans struggle with their faith from time to time. It happens. So struggling is not wrong, but living in your struggle, staying in your struggle, living in the doubt, embracing the doubt, staying in the doubt, becoming content with the doubt, that's the problem. That becomes a sin. Getting stuck in doubt and never coming out of it, that's the sin. That's why Jesus was so emphatic about this with, with Thomas. That's why he was so strong. Stop, stop being faithless. Believe. Get over it. Move on. Things won't always happen in an easy way to figure out. Continue to have faith. Continue to believe. Human weakness is something you're going to struggle with all of your, your Christian life. If you think the point's going to come where you're never going to struggle anymore, newsflash, that's wrong. You are going to struggle all of your Christian life with something. The enemy will continue to come at you, but real victory only comes to people who are willing to face the struggle, battle through the struggle, and let God work in their lives to bring a healing through their struggle, through their doubt, and then choose to believe in spite of what's going on in their lives. And that's why Jesus is saying to all of us today, don't be faithless any longer. Believe, believe, believe. In fact, he was so strong about this that even after Thomas was kind of restored, so to speak, and he was brought back into right relationship with Christ, and Jesus showed him his hands and his side, and he repents, and he calls Jesus his Lord and his God. Jesus didn't pat him on the head then and say, good job, Thomas, glad you came back, buddy. No, he gave him another little bit of a rebuke, and he says to him in verse 29, you believe because you've seen me, but more blessed are those who believe without seeing me. In other words, far greater are those who work through their fears, who work through their doubts and their struggles, and let God put a new vision of faith within their hearts. They don't stay stuck in the doubt. They don't stay stuck in the weakness. They say, God, by your help, get me out of this. I'm sticking with you, even though I don't fully understand it. They are the ones who see the miracles flow into their lives. You see, the resurrection has got to become more than just a doctrine. The resurrection has got to become personal to you. What the resurrection means is that Jesus is with you right now, right here. When you walk out of here, he is with you. That's personal. It's not just something we celebrated two weeks ago. You celebrate the resurrection absolutely every moment of every day of your life. That's how personal Jesus must be to your life because if he isn't, then he becomes no more than another of thousands upon thousands of religious cult and guru leaders who have dotted the religious landscape of time. Without the resurrection, Christianity has no power. 
That's how critical this is. Without the resurrection, you are still dead in your sins. Without the resurrection, your faith is nothing more than a set of rules and of regulations and of codes to follow. But with the resurrection, there is power available to you today. With the resurrection, Jesus is alive. With the resurrection, your sin can be forgiven. Hallelujah. With the resurrection comes the power to overcome. With the resurrection, nothing shall be impossible to you who believe. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, we're talking about Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, we're talking about Jesus just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life, resurrected life, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We are never going to die because we are in Christ. So how do you appropriate this victory into your life? How do you make this real to you? You go back to that essential that Jesus said to Thomas, start believing. You got to believe. It comes to you through your faith. That's why Jesus said, Thomas, you've got to believe. You've got to move past your disappointment, past your doubt, and start believing. And he's saying the absolute same thing to you and me here this morning. Now, three things will happen to you when this kind of faith enters your life. Number one, I believe your boldness will increase. When you have this kind of faith fill your spirit, boldness in your life, your spiritual life will begin to increase. When you believe something, you take, you'll take risk. You'll take a risk when you really believe something because you know what you believe is true and you're going to stand on it. You are bold in that. That's what happened to these uh, 12 disciples. After Christ's crucifixion, they hid for their lives. They were afraid of the Romans. They were afraid of the Jewish leaders. But after they met the resurrected Lord, they had a new resolve. They had a new boldness. They had a new determination that comes from the power of the Spirit. The fear that had controlled them up to this point was replaced by a new boldness and a confidence that comes from knowing that you know that you know that your God is alive and he's with you and he's going to walk into the workplace tomorrow. He's going to go into the doctor's office with you tomorrow. He's going to go down Bangor with you tomorrow. Hallelujah. You need it. You've got to know that Jesus is with you every step of the way. Now, every one of us knows what it is to doubt. We all struggle with that faith from time to time, and that's why I love Thomas so much, because I see me and him. It'd be nice, wouldn't it be nice to, to look at these stories and say, boy, too bad, Thomas. Boy, am I glad I'm not like you. But truth is, I see me in him. But Thomas was more than a doubter. It's unfortunate he got tagged with that. He moved past it. He was more than a doubter. He confronted his doubt, he confronted his disappointment. He confronted his, uh, his, his frustration over what took place on that cross, and he let Jesus heal him. 
And so changed was Thomas that church history tells us he became a great missionary to the nation of India. And there he died a martyr's death for taking the gospel to India. He so overcame his fear that he was willing to lay his life down in boldness for what he knew was true. That's what believing like this will do for you. It'll give you such strength of boldness and confidence in your heart and in your spirit. Thomas had, had the heart of the psalmist who said in Psalm 56, verse 4, In God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man, what can mere people do to me? I have put my trust in God. And yes, they may take their shots at me. They may make fun of me at school. They may make fun of me at, in the neighborhood or at work. They may take their shots at me, but I am trusting God who's going to see me through. They don't have the final word. Jesus has the final word in my life. And all of the disciples, not just Thomas, were transformed and changed by this. In fact, so complete was their transformation that Acts chapter 4 tells us that the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection, not timid, timidly, but powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. The rest is history, and that's what A.D. the series is all about. It's the history of what took place in the book of Acts. That's God's desire for every one of us in this place today, for us to be strong in faith, for us to be strong in our boldness, for us to be strong in our, prof in, in, in our confidence, that our boldness would increase in life. He wants you to have bold faith for your healing. Hallelujah. That I'm standing on the healing of the Lord. He wants you to have bold faith for sharing Christ with your neighbor, with your co-worker, with your family, with your friends. He wants you to have bold faith to overcome that temptation. I do not have to give in to that any longer. I am a victor in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from now on, I'm headed up for greater things in the Lord. But for that to happen in your life, you've got to believe you got to believe that's what brings the boldness secondly your relationship with God will increase it will deepen over the years I have I have known believers who have become angry at God for a variety of things maybe what happened in their family maybe a particular trial that their family has gone through, a particular trial that they have gone through physically, whatever the reason might be, I've known them to become angry at God. And I understand their frustration. And oftentimes our emotions can get in the way of our relationship with the Lord, but it's so important that you don't allow that to happen. It's so important that you don't let your negative emotions dominate your spiritual heart it's a battle you say I know it's hard and I want you to know it is a battle it is hard I understand that but it's one that you've got to fight and it's one that you've got to win you've got to win the battle and you can win it anger is a natural thing that has a proper place not all anger is bad but 
it can lead to very negative things very quickly if not used properly. And that's why James chapter 1, verse 20 says, human anger does not produce the righteous deeds of God or the righteousness that God desires. Let me just speak to you a moment here today. If you are angry at God today, maybe you got fired last week or last month. Maybe uh, back in January, you, you filled out the 90-day tithe challenge and you've been faithful to that. And Instead of good things happening, you lost your job and now you're ticked off. You're really angry at God over that. I can understand that. In the natural, I can understand that. What I want to say to you today is if you are angry over God, over a medical report that you've gotten, over maybe your husband walked out on you or your wife, and you're angry at God over it and you're blaming him. Or maybe you're not angry at God right at this very moment, but you would have to admit that it is a real tendency in your heart that when things don't go right, you get angry at God. You get angry at God. You need to assess that. You need to think about that. You need to look deep in your heart and assess your relationship with God. Anger at God isn't something to be taken lightly. Just like in any relationship, anger has the potential to destroy the relationship. The same thing is true in your relationship with God. If you allow anger to begin to dominate you, It'll take a toll on your walk with God, your walk with Christ. In fact, can I go so far as to say that anger at God can be a sign that your relationship with him is not as deep as you may think it is. And sometimes God will allow these things in our lives to expose something in our heart that we may either have covered up really well or we don't even know is there. And the Lord will allow stuff to come in and it exposes stuff that's going on inside of us. And he exposes it for one reason. We've got to take care of it. We've got to deal with it. Sometimes these things can be a warning sign that something's not right. Going back to Thomas, he got very angry at what happened to Jesus. Who wouldn't? We all get angry this time of year around Easter when we have to relive the crucifixion part. I love the Easter Sunday part. It's the Good Friday part I hate. Grieves my heart to see him whipped again. I can't hardly stand to put on the movie The Passion of the Christ. It just, or, or see it on TV or whatever. Just the, the emotions it brings the anger towards what happened to him, and then the, it dawns on me that it was my sin that did it. But Thomas was angry that Jesus, that he believed was the Messiah and was going to deliver Israel, is now up there on a cross. He's crucified, he's dead, he's buried. Everything he believed in was gone. And he's angry over the whole thing. The problem is he allowed his anger to affect his faith. The other disciples struggled too, but not to the degree Thomas did. Maybe that's the reason he got tagged with the, with the name Doubting. He, he allowed this, this thing to affect his faith to a very great degree, almost to the point where he was willing to walk away from that faith. 
He was on the verge. He was on the verge because he, he, he made that statement. I won't believe. I don't care what you've told me. I am not going to believe until certain things happen that I want to have happen. You ever said that? I won't believe until God comes through exactly like I want him to come through. He doesn't come through the way I want him to come through, then I am not going to believe. I'm out of here. I don't care how great my friendship has been with you other ten guys. I'm out of here. Jesus shows up and reveals himself to Thomas in a very personal way. That brought Thomas to repentance and to restoration of his relationship with God. But the point I'm trying to make is his anger became a point of diminishing faith, almost to the point where he walked out on it. You got to be careful. Anger can do the same thing to you. It can destroy your relationship with God. But the opposite is true. A growing faith will grow your relationship with God. A growing faith will deepen your relationship with God. Letting those negative emotions affect your faith can have a very negative long-term effect upon your connection, your closeness with Jesus. But if you allow the negative uh, emotions, the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, whatever it is in your relationship with God, if you allow that to dominate your life, I've seen it a thousand times over in, in my leadership pastoral ministry, People who once had a dynamic walk with God become shallow, start going through the form, and that's all it is. It's just form for them because they've become angry at God. The key is to work through your anger. Everybody gets angry. Just don't stay there. Work through the anger. Work through the disappointment. Let God help you overcome it. Let God help you use the trial to actually come out stronger instead of, instead of weaker. You come out with stronger faith instead of it diminishing your faith. And folks, the trial can do that. It can actually make you better, not bitter. It, you don't have to end up bitter. The choice is yours. But it all gets down to, Lord, I choose to believe or Lord, I choose not to believe. That's where it goes. That's where it comes from. So number one, growing faith will increase your spiritual boldness. Number two, growing faith will increase your relationship and closeness to God. It'll deepen it. And number three, your life's potential will increase because of, of your faith. No matter what the devil has done to you, Jesus can restore it. No matter what has happened in your life, Jesus can restore his good plan. He can restore your potential. You may think that you have gone too far. You may think that you have failed God too much. You've walked out too, too far. You've sinned too deeply. You've walked too far away from God. But there is no sin that takes you beyond the love of God. He sees you and, and, and sees in, what, in you what you may not see in yourself. He sees in you a person of vast potential and value that he intends to fully restore to God's original plan. Hallelujah. Your, your life is not over. He's in the restoration business. 
That's why Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 is one of my favorite scriptures where, where God says through the prophet, come, let's talk this over together, let's reason about this together. Though your life has been stained by your sin and by your old life and you've messed it up and you're scarred all over the place, I will take you and restore what the enemy has tried to destroy and I'll make you white as snow and white as wool with the full potential of all that I have for your life. You look at Thomas himself. He was a restored man, and he lived his life in the plan and fullness of God's plan for his life. In fact, look over here at Peter. Same thing for him. He was restored, and he lived his life as a restored a man of God who became a pillar of the early church upon which the early church was built. But look at Judas, not true of him. Judas betrayed Jesus, but so did Peter. So did Thomas. They all betrayed Jesus. The difference is that Judas never let Jesus restore him, never let Jesus forgive him. In, his, in, the, in the, uh, the bitterness and the anger and the disappointment of what he had done, he ran out in the despair of that moment and he took his own life. We all fail. The key is letting Jesus restore the potential back to your life. But like everything else, you got to believe. That's where it starts. You got to believe. That's what Jesus told Thomas, and that's what he's telling you. Listen to those words one last time. Don't be faithless any longer. Let's get over it. Let's move past it. Believe. Here at Life Church, we pray that you have a blessed week. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or you can always go to lifechurchutah.com.